Now, if you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to two passages in the Bible, one in the Old Testament, one in the New. The first passage that we're going to look at is in Judges chapter 6, and we're going to begin reading in verse 11 in just a moment. Judges chapter 6 and verse 11, and the second text is going to be out of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 1. Judges chapter 6 and Matthew 16, 1. Now, over the last couple of weeks, um, I've, we've still been collecting questions, and uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've had a couple of questions that, uh, really, if you kind of step back from them and look at them from an overarching view, really, they deal with the will of God and, and determining the will of God and things like that. One question is more general, and the other is more specific. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to try to look at the first one today, uh, which is more general, and then we'll try and hit uh, the other one next week. And hopefully those things will be helpful to us as we try to live out the will of God in our lives. Now the question that was submitted this week, uh, for this week's sermon, really it was kind of a two-part question. The, the question pointed out that in the Old Testament, Gideon asked for signs from God, and he, that, that action was not condemned. But in the New Testament, a sign was asked of Jesus, and he said that a uh, wicked and perverse generation would seek a sign. So which is it? Should we seek signs from God to determine His will or not? Now, I will say at the outset that this uh, this this over this <clears throat> excuse me this principle and uh, one of these texts in particular is very personal to me, and I've told you this before. But back when God called me to preach when I was 16 years old, and and it was it was a very um, I, I don't even know how to describe the uh, I don't even know how to describe what I went through during that time. But uh, I, I will say that, um, that I felt all of a sudden this very strong sense of spiritual unease, of, of a very strong burden that was on my heart. And at first, I didn't know what, what was going on. I just knew that God was working on me in some way. I didn't know what he was trying to get through to me, though. I'm kind of dense. And so uh, I, I thought, man, maybe, I'm, maybe I have some big sin in my life. And so I confessed every sin I could think of. And that didn't alleviate things. And so then I started confessing sins I couldn't think of. And that didn't alleviate things. And, and, and this, this idea, this, this thought, this drawing kept coming to mind. Well, maybe God's calling you to preach. God's calling you to preach. God's calling you to preach. But I knew that that couldn't be it. Because I was, I was backward. I was an introvert. I was bashful. I hated getting in front of people. Especially when it was just me in front of everybody. And I really hated it if it was just me up in front of everybody talking. And so I knew that that couldn't be what God had for me because I, I hated all those things. But God didn't really care what I hated. He, uh, he, he, he drew me and He called me anyway. And, uh, and, and so what I did one day was I, was I was in prayer. I was trying to figure out what God was doing in my, in my life. And I, I don't remember the exact words, but basically I said, God, I'm going to open the Bible at random and put my finger on a verse. And God, please use that to tell me whether or not I'm supposed to preach. Now I will say I will just pause and say that is a terrible way to try to discern God's will. Don't do that. But that's what I did nonetheless. And I put my finger on the verse and I read it and it said, An evil and adulterous generation shall ask for a sign. And so um, I thought that was kind of God's way of, of kind of putting me in my place. But I think that if we all were to go around and share, we probably all have times when we've done something similar, haven't we? Where when we've 
maybe we've we've done the whole Bible roulette thing and put our finger on a verse and 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 try to get some direction that way, or maybe we thought, God, if you want me to do this, then let such and such happen. You know, if if you want me to marry this person, if you want me to buy this car, if you want me to purchase this house or this piece of property or whatever it is, God, let my first grade teacher call me at 2.50 p.m. today. Or we, we say, well, if, if you want me to do such and such, if you want me to take this job, let me meet so-and-so at Walmart I haven't seen for a long time. And so we come up with all these, all these what we would consider a sign from God that, uh, that He is trying to direct us. And that's what, that's what we think. And, and we've all done that. So where do we get this idea that that's an appropriate thing to do? Well, the place that people look is to a man named Gideon. And you remember the, the story about him and the fleece, I'm sure. Um, and we're going to read it today. But uh, to understand kind of the, the context that he's in, I want to give you just a moment of background so you can kind of put him in place historically. This is during the period of, of the judges. They didn't have a king. It was a is morally and spiritually bankrupt as a nation, Israel was. And so what they would do is everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And, and they would sin as a nation. They would get really bad. <clears throat> And God would allow a foreign nation to come in, take them over, begin to afflict them. And that would happen for some years. The people would, would realize what they were doing was wrong. They would get fed up with the affliction. They would cry out to God. God would send a deliverer, a judge, who would deliver them, lead them in overthrowing this, these foreign powers, and lead the people. And that would be all well and good. They would have a peer, uh, a political peace for some time. Then the judge would die. And then they started that process again. The people would sin. God would let uh, this, this captivity happen or this, this uh, foreign powers come in. They'd cry out to God. Another judge would rise up and so on and so forth. And this happened several times. And that was going on in our text today. So the Midianites, one of Israel's enemies, had come in. And what they would do is, is around harvest time every year, the Midianites and the Amalekites and a whole bunch of other people would gather and they would raid Israel. Now it was a it was a farming based area, and so they would be harvesting their crops, and these foreign powers would come in and they would steal all the crops, and what they didn't steal they would destroy, and they take all the all the crops, all the livestock, they do all these things and leave them devastated. And this happened for seven years, and so finally the people cried out to God, God help us, we need your help, forgive us all these things. God sends a prophet that rebukes them. And then he raises up a man named Gideon. And that's where we're going to pick up today in, in Judges chapter 6 and verse 11. So Gideon is, uh, he's, uh, well, I'll just, I'll just fill you in whenever we get there. So if you found Judges 6, uh, I'd ask you to stand with me if you could. And we're going to pick up in verse 11. Now there is going to be a gap in our verses. I'll kind of, I'll fill some of those verses in uh, when we get to them. Verse 11 says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us, and where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of, uh, up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and has given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. 
Have I not sent you? He said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you will defeat Midian as one man. So Gideon said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come back to you, and bring out my offering and lay it before you. And he said, I will remain until you return. Then Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from, from an ephah of flour. He put the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot and brought them out to, to him under the oak and presented them. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. When Gideon saw that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Alas, O my Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Now I'm going to pause there, and I'm just going to fill you in on the next few verses. Gideon then builds an altar, and God tells Gideon, What I want you to do is I want you to go to your father's house, and his father, Joash, had a shrine, an altar rather, that was dedicated to the worship of Baal. And so God said to, to Gideon, I want you to go to Dad's house, and I want you to tear down that altar that Dad has put all this money into. I want you to tear it down. There's an ashtray, uh, which is like a, a, a kind of like a, a post that they worshipped. It was a, a false goddess. I want you to cut that down. I want you to sacrifice. I want you to build a fire with the wood from the ashtray that you cut down and offer a sacrifice uh, on that on this uh, on this wood that you're that you're cutting down. And so Gideon was afraid to do that. I and mean, you can imagine going to dad's house and tearing up his stuff real bad. And so Gideon was afraid to do that. So he waited till nighttime, went out with 10 men. They pulled down the, the altar, pulled down the ashtray, did just as God had said. The next day, people get up. They look out and they see that, that this altar is destroyed. Well, who did that? And they say, well, uh, Gideon, the son of Joash. And so they're all, they're, they're all ready to kill him. And so Joash says, you guys are going to contend for Baal? If Baal is a god, let him kill him because he's the one. He, it's his altar that was destroyed, and so uh, the people didn't attack uh, Gideon. And right about that time, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and, and the other people that would raid, they come into the valley of Jezreel and they are going to attack and raid the people. And so Gideon sends out word and he assembles all these people, all these uh, people from the different tribes, to fight and overthrow the Midianites. And that's getting ready to happen. And so we pick up in verse 36. And this is the very famous part. It says, Then Gideon said to God, If you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken, behold, I will put out, I will put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on all the ground, then I will know that you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken. And it was so. When he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he drained the dew from the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not let your anger burn against me, that I may speak once more. Please let me test once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, and let there be dew on all the ground. So God did so that night, for it was dry only on the fleece, and dew was on all the ground. Now I want you to turn over briefly to uh, Matthew chapter 16. We're just going to read a few verses, and then we'll uh, get back into Gideon's account. Matthew 16, 1 says, The Pharisees and Sadducees came up, and testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he replied to them, 
When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning there will be a storm. There will be a storm today for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know that? Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them, and went away. Thank you. you may be seated. Now, as we begin to, to think about all of this that we read, I, I want to spend most of our time in Judges 6. And the first thing that I want you to see is, is that the signs that Gideon sought were not to determine the will of God. The signs that Gideon sought were not to determine the will of God. And the reason that I start here is because this is where most people look for a biblical example of someone who, who, puts out, who, who sets up a sign of some kind uh, to, to help them understand what God's will is. Now, Gideon asked for three signs, and two of them are really just about one thing. They're, they're, they're the opposite of one another. So we're uh, going to work our way through those things. And I want you to notice carefully uh, what, uh, what Gideon does. Now, if you'll start out in verse 11, it says that Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, that, that alone is significant, not theologically, but just, uh, just so you understand. Threshing was usually done on the top of a hill, because usually a breeze is blowing on top of a hill. And so what they would do is they would have what's called a threshing floor. It was kind of a, a, a circular area that they would have planks of wood down. And they would put this, this grain in there, and they would have an ox or a bull or something that would walk around on that grain. And as, as those animals would walk, it would separate the, the, the grain from the chaff, that papery stuff on the outside of it. And so what they would do is they go in what's called a winnowing fork, and they'd scoop it up and they'd throw it up in the air. And as that breeze would blow, it would blow the chaff away and just the... Uh, just the, the grain would drop. Now that's where it's usually done. But you'll notice that he is in a wine press. That's kind of like a, a hole in the ground. And the reason that that's, that's happening is because he and his family somehow got some crops raised and he, they, they actually got them harvested and they're trying to have some food to eat. And so he's out there doing this work and the angel approaches him and notice how he's addressed. He says, uh, the Lord is with you O valiant warrior. Now I can imagine him seeing that and Gideon being like, who are you talking about? I mean, Gideon is not a valiant man at this point. One of my professors in college called him the Barney Fife of the Old Testament. I mean, Gideon gets commissioned by God to lead the people in an armed revolt against the Midianites. And he is not prepared. And even though the one speaking to him has the appearance of a man, Gideon... Gideon recognizes there's something different about this man. And so he proposes to, to he, he, he says, I'm gonna, I want a sign. He doesn't say what the sign is, but he requests a sign. And what is the purpose of that sign? Look at verse 17. So Gideon said to him, if now I found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that, that what? That it is you who speak to me. So the first sign that he asks is he's wanting verification of who it is that's giving him the commission. It's not to determine the will of God at this point. At this point, he just wants to know for sure that it's actually God that's speaking. Now remember, this is a, this is a time whenever it was religiously and politically and morally bankrupt in, in Israel. They didn't have the full canon of Scripture like we do. They didn't have the Bible at their fingertips like we do. And so, so they, he, couldn't, he couldn't just turn to chapter and verse. And let's face it, he is a man. And if it was you in that place, if you were getting commissioned to lead 
uh, an army against an, a, a nation in armed revolt, you'd want to know who was talking to you too, wouldn't you? You'd want to be sure that that was really a message from God. And so, so his 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 request here isn't to determine whether or not God wanted him to lead the re- revolt. He just wanted to confirm that it was God who wanted him to do it. And so God gave him the sign which which verified that the message came from him. So then Gideon begins to clean up and he starts at home and tears down this this uh, this altar to Baal and, and so forth. Now when he does that, word naturally spreads. Gideon has done this. He's calling the people together. And the Midianites, the Amalekites, the enemies of Israel assemble in this valley and they're going to they're gonna fight. So Gideon calls this army together and it's here in verse 36 that he requests his other signs from God. But notice again, the purpose is not to determine God's will. Notice verse 36. Gideon said, If you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken, behold, I'll put the fleece of wool on the threshing floor. And, and then he goes out to go, goes on to, uh, to to lay out exactly what he what it will require for him to understand. This is what God is is uh, that God's going to be with him. So I want you even here to see that that he's not trying to figure out God's will because he knew that God's will was for him to fight. But rather, this served to confirm his presence and empowerment for that fight. Because as I said before, remember, he is he's listed in Hebrews 11 in the Hall of Faith, but he's still a person. He's still a man. And he's getting ready to go into battle, and many people are probably going to lose their lives. And he wanted to make sure, he wanted one more confirmation before he did it, that God would be with him. And we didn't read it in, in verse seven, but or chapter seven. But but once he had that confirmation, he obeyed. He led the people. He revolted against Midian. Now a lot of the time when people uh, point to this decision, or when when we get to a point of decision in our lives, you know, we're we're at a, a, a fork in the road, so to speak. A couple of things tend to happen. Sometimes, when we face that decision, we pray with our lips that God God's will would be done. But down in our heart, if we were honest, we want our will to be done. And we want God to give his stamp of approval on it. Haven't you ever done that? We say we, we say with our lips, not my will, but thine be done. But in our hearts, we mean not thy will, but mine be done. We want God to say, you know, Jeff, that sounds like a pretty good plan. Why don't you just do that? We don't want to know what God's will is in that situation if it's different from what we want to do. We're not, we're not neutral at this point. We want our way. Either that or we focus so much on the future that we lose sight of the one who holds the future. And what I mean is, many times we truly do seek God. We really do want to know what His will is, even if it's different from our own. But sometimes, we're so focused on what's going to happen in the future that we forget that God's more concerned about a relationship with us than He is providing a roadmap for us. And see, God's not going to tell us the future. That's for him to know. And and so we end up experiencing the 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 paralysis of analysis, as somebody has called it. And 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 we don't we don't know the future, and we're scared of making the wrong choice. Because what if I say the wrong thing? What if I go the wrong place? What if I take the wrong job? What if I buy the wrong car? What if I do the wrong whatever it is? And so, because we're so worked up about it, like God can't work even in that, that we, we say, God, if you want me to do this, 
then you got to show me a sign. Anybody else been there before? I think we've all been there. But listen, God is not going to tell you the future. So what, what we'll do is we'll say, God, if you want me to marry this person, just let them show up in a blue shirt to my date. And if you don't want me to marry this person, let them be wearing khaki shorts. What if they show up to your door wearing khaki shorts and a blue shirt? Then what are you going to do? Uh, why, why are you basing a decision on who you're going to marry on the extensive nature of a person's wardrobe or how often they do laundry? Or we say, God, I have this opportunity to buy this vehicle. Lord, please let me know if it's going to be a good one or if it's going to be a lemon. God, you know the future. Please let me know the future too. And, and if you want me to get it, then X. And we'll come up with some big plan. God, if you want me to buy this truck, will you let, when I go to church, you let the preacher talk about Philippians 4. I mean, we come up with all these, all these things. But listen, God calls us to be faithful. He doesn't call us to be fortune tellers. And so what he does is he leads us one step at a time. He doesn't tell us the future. He just gives us the, the, the wisdom to go one step at a time. And so the first thing I want you to see is this, this uh, series of requests that Gideon has is not to determine the will of God because he knows what the will of God is. He just wants confirmation from God that God's going to be with him when he does that will. Now I want you to turn over to uh, Matthew chapter 16. And I want you to see the other instance that was mentioned in the question. And I want you to, we're just going to read those verses again very quickly. And I want you to see that the purpose of their request, their demand really, was not to determine God's will. It wasn't even to confirm God's presence, but rather they asked it in order to test Jesus. Look at verse 1. The Pharisees and Sadducees came up and testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Now, this is not the first time these religious leaders have asked of a sign for Jesus because in Matthew chapter 12, they did the same thing. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus had been doing all these miracles. He'd been casting out demons. And what do they say? He's doing it by the power of who? Beelzebub, the prince of demons. So even though they had miracles in front of them, they still wrote them off. And so Jesus, in that case, he told them, he, 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 he corrected them, he rebuked them and told them that, that no sign would be given to them except the sign of Jonah. Same thing he says in chapter 16. He says in, in verse 4, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. And he left and went away. Now, now Jesus puts these guys in their place, and it's, it's plain in verse 1 that these people were not... We're not asking for a sign for the right reasons. Because verse 1 says they were doing it to test Jesus. Matthew or Mark chapter 8 tells about the same thing happening. And he says this happened in the midst of them arguing with him. So it's not like these guys were coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, my faith is so weak. Please give me a sign that you're with us. They didn't say, Jesus, I just, I, I just don't know for sure who you are. They knew who he was. They'd seen Jesus raise the dead. They'd seen him heal the sick. They'd seen him cast out the demons. But still they refused to believe. 
not because of a lack of evidence, but because of a hardness of heart. And so what they were doing in, in verse 1 is they, they were asking for this sign in the hopes that, A, he would fail, and then they could accuse him in front of everybody of being a fraud, or B, to put on this air that, that, that if they just had enough evidence, enough proof, that they would believe. And we all know people like that, don't we? And sometimes we're like that. Hopefully not with Jesus. But sometimes we get our minds made up, and if we hear facts to the contrary, not opinions to the contrary, facts to the contrary, what do we do? We, we explain them away. We ignore them. Oh, that can't be right. Oh, you're looking at the wrong website. You're looking at, at whatever it is. And we just ignore what's before us. I recently listened to a, 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 a heated debate between a Christian and an atheist, and the Christian asked the atheist, what would it take for you to believe in God? Because the atheist said he didn't have enough proof. And the atheist came up with some ridiculous set of circumstances. But then when he was pressed on the matter, he admitted, even if those things happened, he would not automatically believe in God. But rather, he would need to investigate all the other possible um, uh, reasons that this set of circumstances happened. Well, lifetime's not enough time to do all that what I'm saying is these guys had made up their minds they were not going to believe in Christ and you say well how do you know because they had the biggest and the best miracle that there is the the sign of Jonah Jonah was a, a sign to the Ninevites because he was swallowed up by the fish and, and three days later he came out that was a, a picture that foreshadowed Jesus being in the tomb for three days and being resurrected. And so even though they had that, even though Jesus rose from the dead, even though they had first-hand accounts, even though they knew the scriptures were fulfilled, they didn't believe. Instead, they bribed the guards. So, let's come back to the question. The question is really twofold. Number one, why is one question condemned and the other is not? Why is one thing one, one of these requests for a sign wrong and the other isn't? Well, the first question, I, I hopefully, is, is plain enough. The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees did not ask for the same reasons that Gideon did. They had different motivations. Gideon's request was meant to confirm. The religious leader's te- uh, request was meant to test. Gideon's request was due to uncertainty... Their request was due to unbelief. Gideon's was, Gideon was ultimately obedient. The religious leaders were ultimately disobedient and hardened in sin. So why is one condemned and the other isn't? Because one of them is just by a bunch of people who hate God and, and God's not going to perform a parlor trick to make them believe because they're not going to believe anyway. And the other was, was given to a, a person who had a, a wavering faith. The second question, should we seek those, those same kind of confirmations today to show us the will of God is a little more difficult to answer. And I say it's difficult because on one hand, the Bible does not expressly forbid us from asking for those things. But on the other hand, we don't have a positive teaching that says that we should seek those things to lead us to the will of God. Now sometimes in Scripture, God does provide signs. But he is usually the one who initiates that. 
So when he was talking to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, he says, this will be a sign that I sent you. After you've done what I said, you'll come here and worship. And then Moses asked him questions. Well, who should I say sent me and, and different things like that. And then God gives him a couple of signs. He says, throw down your staff. And he, he throws it down, becomes a serpent, picks it up, becomes a staff again. Puts his hand in his, in his, in his garments, it becomes leprous. God was the one who initiated that. In 1 Kings chapter 13, God gives a sign. And, and the sign that he gives is an altar splits apart and the ashes pour out. God was the one who came up with that. In Isaiah chapter 7, Ahab is told to ask for a sign. And it's in the process of this, we actually get a prophecy about Jesus because it says in, in Isaiah 7, virgin shall be of a child, and so on and so forth. God initiates those things. And so when we, when we look at people getting signs from God that would confirm or direct them to His will, He is the one who initiates those things. So we don't have a positive teaching and we don't even have a positive example of people who sought signs to lead them to God's will. Because even if we look at Gideon, Again, the first sign was to confirm that it was a heavenly messenger. And the other two signs, which really one, in a sense, they didn't tell him what God's will was. He knew what God's will was. It was just that it serves as a confirmation that God would be with him as he did God's will. And so, on a practical level, let's just break it down. And, and I'm sure you can probably identify with this. We need to remember that sometimes the things that we come up with as signs aren't really signs. And the things that we come up with are usually unconnected to what's happening. Let me give you an example. If you're choosing between two jobs, and you pray that if God wants you to have job A, you'll get a phone call within the next seven minutes. And if He wants you to have job B, you pray that you won't get a call. Now, is it a sign from God whether or not your phone rings? Well, I mean, he's in control of all things. So he very much could cause that to happen or prevent that from happening. But listen, sometimes I don't get any calls the whole day, and I love it. And other times, my phone rings off the hook, so to speak. You ever had those times? I mean, as soon as you hang up the phone, somebody else is calling you. And other times, and it's, it's crickets. That's not really, I mean, I, I don't want to base my job on the possibility of a telemarketer calling, right? But let's say that you pray, you say, if, if I'm supposed to marry this person, let them show up with this set of clothes on, or not. Again, I don't want to base my marriage decision on how often somebody does laundry. I don't want to base my marriage decision on, on things like that. Those are not signs. Let's say that you get married. Somebody, let's say, God, if you want me to marry this person, let them show up in a blue shirt. They do. You marry them, and you have a terrible marriage. Then what do you do? You say, well, this is God's fault. Or do you point the finger at yourself and say, well, maybe, I should, maybe that wasn't really a sign. A much wiser course of action, I believe, is to study the Scriptures. Use the principles from the Word of God to inform your decision. Okay? What about the person you're to marry? Who cares what color shirt they wear? Is that person a believer? There's test number one. If no, not even on the table. 
Don't even consider it. Because the Bible says don't be unequally yoked. Pray about it. It's not something you have to pray about if, if somebody isn't a believer. Just don't even, don't even, uh, don't even consider it. Get input from trusted believers. Those things are, are much more reliable. And if you really desire some sort of confirmation, I think a more sensible thing to ask, God, if you want me to have this job, let me get a job offer. Wouldn't that make more sense than let me get a phone call in the next seven minutes? If you don't want me to have the job, don't let me get the offer. There's a sign for you. It's pretty hard to miss. Those are the signs that I need because I'm really slow. Now, I say all this, and I know that knowing and doing the will of God can be challenging. Because we don't know the future. And when we think about going to college, there's no text that says, Thou shalt go here, thou shalt not go there. We don't have that. Thou shalt marry this person, thou shalt not marry this person. And we do want to please God into the choices that we make. But again, I don't think that giving God an arbitrary set of circumstances to fulfill in order to communicate His will is a wise course of action. Now again, we don't have a biblical command not to. That's just, that's, that's my read on it. And it may be that you're facing some decision today and you don't have the wisdom for it. What does the Bible say? The book of James says, If any of you lacks wisdom... Ask, ask God, and He'll give it. Proverbs chapter 3 says that if we don't lean on our own understanding, but instead we trust in Him, we acknowledge Him in all our ways, what will He do? We'll direct our path. Now, if you're facing some decision today, are you doing those things? Are you studying the Scriptures? Are you getting input in the thoughts of trusted, mature believers? Are you renewing your mind? Are you seeking His will or if you're honest, are you seeking your will with his stamp of approval? Because sometimes we're like that lady that's on a diet, but she had a, a, a weakness for Krispy Kremes. And oh, you know how sometimes it hits you. You've got to have one of them donuts. And she was driving along, and she was she was struggling. And she's driving, she saw hot and fresh, glowing in red. She said, it's a sign from you, Lord. If you really want me to have one of those donuts, please let there be a spot right up front in the parking lot. You know, on the fifth time around the block there was. You know, that's that's the way that we do sometimes, isn't it? God, if you want me to do this, then let such and such happen, and we work until it does happen. That's not really seeking God's will, is it? That's seeking our will. And one of the great encouragements that I see as I look at the story of Gideon is he tended to be timid. He was scared. In fact, at one point, God said, Gideon was all worried about what was going to happen. He said, I want you to go around there and I want you to spy on this camp. And if you're scared, take your servant. And the very next verse says, and he and his servant went down. He was scared. He was timid. He was, he, he was uncertain. He had a wavering faith. But yet, Hebrews 11 says that he was in the hall of faith. And if God can, can take a, the Barney Fife of the Old Testament and make him a valiant warrior, he can work in our lives too. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes.
And just in the quiet of this time, I wonder, do you have some decision that you're facing? Maybe it's a big one. Maybe it's a little one. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. said next week, Lord willing, we'll look more at the will of God and, and doing those things. But even though we don't know what God's will is many times, He has told certain things that are His will. For instance, He says, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. It's God's will that you be more like Jesus. That you abstain from sin, that you flee from idolatry. In another passage, the Bible says that God has commanded all people everywhere to repent. That means that God commands you, if you've never repented of your sin and turned to Christ in faith, He commands you to do that today. If you'll do that, God will save you. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, there are so many decisions that we make in life that we don't even think about. And really those shape the course of our lives uh, in, in bigger ways than the big decisions sometimes. But God, in those times whenever we are facing some choice, some decision, and even if there's somebody today that's trying to face and figure out something that's going on in their family, at work, or wherever it is, I pray that you would give them wisdom. Give them your peace. Make your way plain before them. Direct their paths as you promised in your word. God, for that person maybe who's hearing the gospel call today, though that wasn't the focus of the message, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself and let them become your child today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.